Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Friday, February 17th. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air on the memorial of the seven holy founders of the Servite Order. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverens and our producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for making us a part of your morning across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Happy Friday as we Get ready for yet another weekend. Well, on this Friday, as I do every Friday, we always take a moment to remember the sacred heart of Jesus, as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can you believe that Lent is literally almost here? Ash Wednesday is only five days away, coming up on February 22nd. I want to remind you that you can elevate your Lent this year in just a few minutes each day with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. They are jam-packed with all kinds of interesting facts and teachings uh, to help you learn more about the Mass and more about your Catholic faith. See why these bite-sized videos had over one million views just last year. Sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. You can do it this morning at relevantradio.com Lent. Get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before, as Father Rocky has said so many times. The good news is they're free, and uh, all you have to do is go to relevantradio.com Lent to sign up. I want to bring in our Morning Air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a, a few of the stories that you are keeping an eye on uh, here uh, this hour on this Friday morning? Well, as many folks in eastern Ohio, western Pennsylvania, keeping an eye on that train derailment area near East uh, Palestine, right on the border of uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania. My goodness, uh, uh, folks having a tough time with uh, the air they're breathing there. Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dead fish and waters around there. The EPA says everything tests out okay uh, and uh, the local residents not happy, despite uh, some federal government officials saying, again, things are okay. Local government officials kind of siding with the local folks, John. Yeah, I saw some uh, video of uh, Ohio Senator J.D. Vance uh, taking, uh, I believe it was like a pole into a pond, and you could see the stuff just floating in the water. Did not look uh, very uh, safe to me, uh, Glenn. Tough situation with the, the spill there. They kind of voted to, to burn it off, burn off the chemicals, as opposed to possibly having some of the, the uh, train cars explode and cause even more damage. But a uh, bad situation either way you look at it. Uh, and this is this is not over yet. Yeah, it's especially uh, challenging to uh, find drinking water. You, you, if you want to drink uh, bottled water, that means you have to go to the store and lug it home. Uh, taking a shower, what do you do? So a lot of lot of challenges for the people uh, in that area, Glenn. Yeah, here's hoping they can uh, get help and, uh, and get some transparency on the situation, too. Meanwhile, uh, President Biden finally uh, addressed uh, the so-called uh, UFOs. <laughs> what did the president have to say? Well, it, the government says, you know, it's likely not uh, Chinese craft of any sort, which I think is kind of good news, but it might have been, uh, you know, different uh, commercial or educational things. There's a report that uh, some uh, amateur uh, 
folks in uh, you know having some fun with ballooning in Illinois actually sent up a balloon that they were able to track heading westward to Alaska and then kind of turning back eastward and that might have been one of the things that we shot down and these balloons could cost as little as twelve dollars at a hobby shop and so uh, we're still kind of fine-tuning uh, in the wake of that uh, Chinese uh, spy balloon slash weather balloon that was shot down off the Carolina coast not too long ago uh, really keeping an eye on anything else that might be making its way uh, near U.S. airspace. Well, I just hope that uh, no aliens do come and show up and elevate some kids on their bike to fly over the moon because they'll get shot down. If they're not, they're just hitting anything that they see flying up in the air. We do not want. That's not the good fairy tale ending that we want to see here. So please, uh, no, no flying in the sky with your bike. Okay, guys. Yeah, and I wonder no. what's going to happen with all those uh, Valentine's Day balloons that will maybe flying up in the air. Yeah, not to mention those times when people are remembering a loved one and they send things that fly up into the air, candles and balloons and things. And you're not really supposed to do that. It's not really great, uh, but it's you know, a nice reminder. People like to do that. So now's not the time to do any of that because uh, they're, they're trigger happy over there. It's been the most traumatic balloon incident, I think, since uh, my oldest daughter was uh, a preschooler and... As folks were leaving the birthday party, one of the balloons slipped out the door and forever floated away, and that turned her off on balloons for, for many years. And oh. so this this brings back some of that trauma, oh, but we're man. dealing with it. We're dealing with it. You could say, flyer, beware. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now uh, a sad story uh, for anybody who is a, a baseball fan. Um, Major League Baseball yesterday announced that, that former uh, St. Louis Cardinals all-star catcher and Hall of Fame broadcaster Tim McCarver passed away yesterday uh, at age 81. He spent 21 years uh, in, in the Major Leagues as a player, won two World Series. Uh, he called 24 World Series uh, in the booth as a broadcaster, many of them uh, with uh, Jack and Joe Buck. So uh, it's, it's sad to see uh, Tim McCarver uh, leave one of the all-time greats, a Hall of Fame uh, announcer. Yeah, I did a great job in the booth. And uh, as a player, I remember having his baseball card back in the day and uh, growing up uh, a Cardinals fan for a little while anyway, in addition to a Twins fan, because that was the first intramural baseball team we were on. We were on the Cardinals. You know, and the next year it was the Tigers and a few years later the Astros. But, uh, yeah, i got a buddy that's been a lifelong Cardinals fan because of that experience. And so, uh, uh, yeah, a great career, both, uh, again, on the field and in the booth. And I always uh, uh, appreciated his commentary, his analysis of uh, the action on the field. Having been a former catcher, he, he understood the game really well and he knew how to make it simple for the average fan. Yeah, exactly. To be able to explain it, uh, you know, with the inside info, but yet from a fan's perspective. And we're all, it's incumbent on all of us to explain some of the things that we know in greater detail to uh, make it uh, more uh, more bite-sized, especially if we're, you know, for example, trying to share the faith as well. You know, I we was just talking about that. <laughs> fancy theology, but we need to kind of bring it down to a regular guy level in order to make an impact so often. Regular guy. That That's what uh, this former sports reporter is, a regular guy. But uh, as always, uh, appreciate it, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Hey, sure thing, John. We uh, always start every hour in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. Keeping in mind, every day is a blessing. Every day is a gift uh, from God. So we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit here every morning when we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, I trust in you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. If you want to shoot us an email directly, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. And our number, if you want to be part of the program, part of the conversation here this morning, 888 now, with Lent right around the corner, as I've been saying for days, uh, you may have an idea of the things that you want to work on or that you might want to give up. As adults and parents, uh, we're an example to our children. They are absolutely watching us. I want to run an interesting idea by you. Why don't we challenge our kids to embrace a Carlo Acutis Lent? Yes, blessed Carlo Acutis, the patron saint of video games. You might have an idea where we're going. Joining us live uh, from the Chicago area is our good friend, uh, Morning Air regular contributor, Mary Helen Fiorito, to talk about uh, challenging your kids to embrace a Carlo Acutis Lent. Mary's an attorney, public speaker, and commentator on issues involving Catholic Church teachings, administration, and religious freedom. She also holds the position of the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at both the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. Good morning, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us once again. It is uh, great to be with you. Good morning, John, and good morning to all your listeners. Well, Mary, can you believe uh, Lent is uh, only five days away? Oh, don't don't even talk about it. I just I am very bad at Lent, John. I don't know about you, but I dread it with every fiber of my being. I mean, I know it, that's probably meaning it's it's good for me, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, at least it's a little bit later this year. You know, there have been days, uh, Ash Wednesdays, when it's actually been Valentine's Day, the same day. So I'm glad that we had a week between the splurging of Valentine's Day and the actual start of Lent. It's a good way to ease into it. I know my Polish friends, they do their Fat Tuesday. They actually do it the Thursday before Lent in Poland. So a lot of my friends who are first-generation Poles were eating up those punchkis, those jelly-filled donuts yesterday, and that'll go on through Tuesday. Oh, my, you just reminded me. My wife never misses Fat Tuesday. She always makes donuts uh, the day before uh, Lent. So, uh, she makes them? She wow. actually, yeah, she makes homemade donuts. So she she oh, makes a big wow. deal out of it and uh, bakes a big mess, but the donuts are delicious. Yes. Oh, and we, I, you know, I live in a neighborhood where there's quite a good number of people from Poland. So the big, the signs are up in all the bakeries, you know, pre-order your punchki. And for, for listeners who aren't from an area where you have a lot of Polish people, a punchki is like a like the best big jelly-filled donut you've ever had in your entire life. And if uh, you're going to get authentically Polish ones, the, the prune ones, ones that are filled with prune uh, filling or rose jam are the two that are kind of the most authentic. And one time I thought someone had brought them in from, at work, and I thought the prune one was a chocolate one, and boy, was I did I have a shock when I bit into it and realized it was prune and, and not chocolate, not chocolate cream as I thought it was. I thought... Who would do this to a donut? But my friend, my Polish friend was saying, no, they're delicious. What's wrong with you? So at any rate, but now my family is in a different situation altogether because we've talked about this before, but all of my children were diagnosed with something called celiac disease.
disease. So, which means we can't even have any gluten in the house. So we have to do uh, non-gluten treats instead of uh, donuts because, um, unfortunately, no one has really mastered a good gluten-free punchki yet. Uh, people have tried, but the, the, they just don't come close. So we do we do other things at my house. Very good. Well, uh, punchkis is uh, the way to go for so many uh, on Fat Tuesday. Uh, now, uh, speaking of Lent, uh, which apparently you you dread, I, I like to think of Lent as a spiritual spring training, drawing from my baseball and sports background. You know, it's an well, opportunity to really kind of get back to the fundamentals and and work mm-hmm. on your game. Oh, it's perky people like you. You make it worse for the rest of us. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's talk about uh, your idea, a, a challenge uh, for uh, for the kids uh, during this Lent. Well, right. You know, actually, I, I, I'm taking credit uh, where I, I shouldn't uh, take it because it, it's actually not my idea. It's a, an author, Philip Kos- Koslowski, speaking of people from Poland, uh, Polish people of descent, um, and Alatia. Uh, and it was his idea to challenge your kids to embrace what he calls a Carlos uh, Acutis Lent. And Blessed Carlos, of course, uh, was a young Italian teenager, um, was very much into video gaming. And as you mentioned at the outset, they, he's the patron saint of video gamers and that sort of thing and computer tech people. Um, but he, every Lent, um, he would limit his video games to one hour a week. And when you think about how much time our children are online, I mean, not only for, you know, um, things like games and recreational activities, but also for school, that's a remarkable sacrifice. Now, I, you know, that's not practical for a lot of families because, you know, your, your child is using an iPad at school and then comes home and has to do it, use it for homework. Um, but to limit those times when just to relax or take a break from studies, you know, you go on a gaming site or you go on Sims or, you know, you go on whatever sites the kids are going on these days. Um, you really limit those. And that's a real challenge. I mean, it's a challenge for adults to pull back from the phone and from screen time, et cetera, et cetera. And it's even more so a challenge for teens, but also, you know, we know from recent studies and um, polls that have been taken, it's also even more critical than ever because it has such an impact on their brain development and also on their emotional health. So, um, you know, again, I, I remember a priest telling me one time, you know, when we were talking about things I should give up for Lent or sacrifices I should make, you know, the whole you, you shouldn't go, uh, for example, limiting particular types of food or drink or alcohol or sugar or what have you, um, because you think it's going to help you lose weight. It, it really has to be a sacrifice you're making where you can turn that time that you would have spent or that money that you would have spent um, and turn it into something as a sacrifice for our Lord. Um, and and to help another person, for example. So if you give up a particular thing that you, you know, say cigarettes that you smoke every day and you spend $30 a week to take that and then make that an offering to the poor box at your parish or to a mission um, or to your parish's food pantry, then you're taking that particular pleasure, which may not in and of itself be a bad thing, but you're taking it and you're you're going to, you know, willingly give it to someone else who may need the funds more or may need the prayers more, um, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, there's a big difference between uh, dieting and fasting, fasting for the Lord. Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, and there are people, I, I have a friend who every Lent, his whole family, they not they abstain from meat the entire Lent, and they also abstain from dairy. And he said, you know, I lose at least 20 pounds every Lent. And he said, but that's not 
the intention. That's not why our family is doing it. And, you know, for the first couple of days, it's interesting. And everybody's, you know, trying to come up with dairy-free and um, meat-free meals. But as Lent wears on, it, it, you know, you're kind of eating the same things over and over again, and it can get very tedious. Um, and again, you know, weight loss, I guess, is part of that. But he said that's not the intent. The intent is for us to understand, A, how much we actually have. I mean, the types of food choices that we have that so many in the world don't. And, and B, to just make us more sensitive to those that the Lord has put around us who may not have the blessings we have, um, or to offer up what, whatever those pleasures would be to someone, whether it's a soul in purgatory or it's a neighbor we know who has just lost a spouse and is grieving, to offer up what is, a, a again, a healthy and normal pleasure and, and not wrong, but, but to say, I'm going to step back from this and I'm going to make an offering to the Lord for my friend who is suffering or for this person that I know or for this person who is sick. So you can take, you know, it's a willingness. It, it's not forced. It's a willingness, although the church does give us guidelines during Lent, obviously, for our prayer and fasting. But it's, it's not nearly as strict as it used to be, you know, back in you know the old days when the, the Lenten fast was really something that was very strenuous. Um, it's, it's actually kind of pretty easy when you think about it compared to what it used to be. You know, you know, so at any rate, in terms of fasting, daily fasting, not eating between meals through all of Lent. But it does make us realize how, like for me, how quickly I might pick up a cookie at two o'clock in the afternoon, for example, or I might go to Starbucks and, you know, get that $5 latte when really that $5 could be much better used if I went over to my parish and after mass at noon, I plop it into the poor box, right? Um, so it's just making yourself more sensitive and aware to physical needs of people, but also to spiritual and emotional needs. Now, as far as uh, walking in the footsteps of, of Blessed Carlo Acutis, uh, how realistic is it um, in these days uh, when you consider just the amount of time that kids spent uh, on the on the internet? Uh, according well, to Alatea, th- th- these kids are playing video games uh, at least uh, three hours a day. They're on the screens eight hours a day. I mean, we're talking about a lot of time that adds up uh, week after week. Oh, well, you know, well, I'll just give you an example. I have a 14-year-old, and so it was at dinner last night. We were just talking about our day, and I said, you know, I'm going to be on the radio again tomorrow. I'm going to be talking about this Blessed Carlos Acutis Challenge, as I'm, I'm calling it, and, uh, you know, only limiting your screen time for games to one hour a week. And my 14-year-old looked at me as if I had just sprouted two additional heads. She's like, Mom, that would be impossible. No kid could do that. And I said, no, honey, it would be possible. So we, we had a good talk about it, but she was horrified that I would even suggest such a thing. And, John, it's, we have to think of where we are now, but also in the light of that COVID lockdown, because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I saw, you know, two of my children who were completely locked down with us, they were on screens. And thank God we were able to do that virtual learning with them. So they didn't really lose in terms of their um, academic development during those, you know, 18 months we were all locked down. And at least in Illinois, in the area of Illinois, where we uh, where we live, we were locked down much longer than the rest of the country were. So, um, but the kids, I think, really um, kind of the addictive component of that um, really kicked in because the kids were on it all the time, and you couldn't basically you just couldn't leave your house unless you were going into your own backyard. You couldn't go to church. You couldn't go anywhere. So it really became a lifeline socially for so many children because it was how they talked to their friends and they would do, you know, Zoom chats with them, et cetera, et cetera. So it it wasn't just for their own pleasure. It was for their um, their social connection, you know, connection to say, you know, my my daughter who was in grade school would, would Zoom with my daughter who was in college in Oregon. And but that was the only way we were able to see each other was was virtually. So. 
um, that I think has really had long-term impact and is going to continue to have long-term impact. Now we're really seeing, you know, the the bad side of this. I mean, for, for the first couple of weeks, I know myself along with, you know, a lot of other families I know who have children and you're always, you're going from one event to another and a sporting event to another and how it was nice just to have that break and just to be together as a family. But, um, you know, that was the initial blessing of it. But then as it went on and on and on, the, the, again, the addictive nature of the games and how dependent kids have become on it during that time. Now that's really evident. Well, Mary, uh, during the pandemic, we heard a lot from the CDC. People were saying, follow the science. Just uh, just days ago, the CDC came out with a, a, a report that says how harmful uh, the Internet is, especially for teen girls. Some of the stats that yeah. they uh, show in that report are really uh, alarming. Yeah. Oh, it's it's terrifying. And, and uh, you know, I have uh, two teenage girls at this point myself, and it is absolutely astounding. I mean, the number of them who um, more than 50 percent who say that they've had a suicidal thought or a suicidal ideation, um, the, the anxiety and depression. There was a horrific story that was featured along with that poll on ABC News of a 14-year-old girl, beautiful girl, who um, there was a video of her being beaten up in the school hallway, and somebody put it on social media, and she committed suicide. And in an interview with her father, just sobbing and sobbing. Um, But these poor kids, that's their whole world, is this, you know, uh, internet and and social media world. And if a picture of you in a humiliating situation, I mean, adolescence is hard enough, much less when the whole world is seeing it. So um, I'm glad to see that there's a bipartisan effort now in Congress um, to try to limit um, the, the, the ways in which TikTok and other kind of dangerous social media sites can lure our children in because there are social contagions now. Um, Tourette syndrome is a new one with young girls uh, self-diagnosing with Tourette syndrome, even though the vast majority of them don't have it. So really keep an eye on, on the different kind of programs. In my house, my husband's an IT security expert, so I am blessed in that way. But we have TikTok blocked in our house, and we also have Instagram blocked in our house. Um, we'll allow some social media sites, but you have to really be vigilant as a parent, especially if you have a teenage girl, and really check in with her in a very direct way. Um, you know, we, we always try to be physically affectionate with our children because, um, you know, in the virtual world, world, you're not. And that was a recommendation um, our doctor actually gave us, you know, a hug a day at least, if not more, because they need that person-to-person connection when so much of their world isn't person-to-person anymore. Well, uh, our kids uh, need to understand that nothing is impossible with God. So uh, with a little prayer and some grace, yes, you can even limit uh, your time on the Internet uh, with uh, TikTok and uh, all the other uh, stuff that's out there uh, and follow in the footsteps of Blessed Carlo Acutis uh, during this Lent. Mary, as always, fascinating perspective. Always good to be with you. Okay, great to be with you and your listeners, John, and have a wonderful weekend. You too. Mary Helen Fiorito. You can find her on Twitter at Mary Fiorito. And we need to take a short break. When we come back, Morning Air contributor Sean Carney, the present co-founder of 40 Days for Life, will be with us uh, to talk about the Satanic Temple opening at an abortion facility and the latest on the upcoming 40 Days for Life spring campaign. So stay with us as this Friday edition of Morning Air uh, continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Get connected to the conversation. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Friday morning as we are headed down the stretch of this show. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from John 6, 27. Our Lord Jesus says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him has God the Father set his seal. Later in this same sixth chapter of the Gospel of St. John, our Lord Jesus Christ refers to the Holy Eucharist when he says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. There is nothing more important than our relationship with Christ, and especially through the Holy Eucharist. All material things are passing. The only thing that lasts is our relationship with God, our family, and our friends. Put your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ today in Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer that Your good friend Drew Mariani prays every afternoon in the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. A number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, is 888-914-9149. Now, earlier in January, and we uh, we talked about this here on Morning Air, the Satanic Temple announced and invited people to participate in a so-called SatanCon 2023, uh, which is advertised as the largest Satanic gathering in history, which will be taking place in Boston in late April. It's super concerning uh, to see this type of an event that's trying to to mainstream the satanic. On top of that, just recently, the satanic temple opened an abortion facility in New Mexico to provide, quote, and this is, uh, this is their words, free religious medication abortion, and we'll name the facility the Samuel Alito Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic in mockery of Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, who authored the opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. This speaks volumes, folks, of the reality of uh, the evil one, uh, Satan himself, uh, and the spiritual powers of darkness clearly behind uh, the barbaric business of killing innocent unborn babies in abortion. This type of evil must be dealt with with prayer and fasting, which is what 40 Days for Life is all about. Joining us live from Houston, Texas, for more on abortion and spiritual warfare, as well as the upcoming 40 Days for Life spring campaign, is Morning Air contributor Sean Carney, the president, CEO, and co-founder of 40 Days for Life that has saved nearly 23,000 babies since 2007. Sean is uh, one of the most sought-after international pro-life speakers. He's executive-produced award-winning pro-life documentaries. He's also uh, co-authored the number one top-rated Christian book, 40 Days for Life, Discover What God Has Done, Imagine What He Can Do. And he also wrote The Beginning of the End of Abortion. Good morning, Sean. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, as always. Good morning, John. Good to be back. Well, Sean, um, how concerning is it uh, for you? I know uh, for anybody uh, who's a person of faith and and pro-life, it's super concerning to see uh, the Satanic Temple uh, opening an abortion facility in New Mexico. What is your take? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot here. Um, first off, it's it's not surprising. Uh, the devil loves abortion, so um, it, it it's not shocking uh, that the Satanic Temple is doing this. Um, the second thing is we know that Satan is behind all abortion and behind so much destruction in the family, uh, but he typically has the most success when he goes unannounced and unnoticed. Um, and so, you know, uh, part of it is that we're obviously making a dent if the Satanists are coming out publicly. Um, and the third part of this is what you mentioned, which I think is getting lost in the story, which is there's kind of a goofy element to this, um, with, you know, naming the abortion facility after Alito's mom. Um, it's outrageous. So, that is so disrespectful and just unthinkable. Well, and it, it's, it's, it's like, are they doing it as a joke? Are they, you know, uh, the devil is very serious, obviously, but, but this is, um, I thought it was bizarre. Obviously the whole thing is bizarre, but, but I think that it's appropriate. Um, I think it shows a little bit of true colors. I mean, I don't know an abortion supporter who wants to be associated with Satan, um, you know, other than the Satanists themselves. But it, it's not a good optic, even, you know, Planned Parenthood's smart enough to know you probably shouldn't run around and try to push your points and raise money off of being connected to the devil. Uh, it's usually not a very good optic. Um, and so I, I really think it's a sign, yet another sign in a post-Roe America that, that we're winning. I also think it is a wake-up call uh, to so many maybe naive Christians that just think abortion is a political thing and it's something some people do, whether you agree with it or not. And, and it's not, it's not. The satanic temple is not setting up, uh, you know, places where you can get cardiovascular surgery. They're not setting up hip replacement, you know, centers. Uh, they're setting up uh, abortion facilities and it's appropriate that they do so because the devil loves abortion. Yeah, no question that the devil loves abortion. But these guys, uh, they claim, uh, I mean, we're talking about the Satanic Temple, they, they claim that they're, uh, they're not associated with a literal Satan. Uh, how do you trust a group uh, that is literally named after the father of lies? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how you name it after Satan, but say that you're not attached to literal Satan. Um, it sounds like some kind of ecclesial sect. But it, it's not. It is associated with Satan, and, and the fact that they're doing abortions, um, I think, highlights that. Uh, that's just backtracking. I mean, this got a lot of news coverage from, from liberal and, and conservative uh, outlets alike. And, and it's, it's because, it, number one, I think anytime you mention Satan, the media pays attention. Uh, number two, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre. We went from, you know, women's rights and, and reproductive health and all of these, you know, lame talking points. Safe, legal, um, and rare. Safe, legal, and rare to infanticide, late-term abortion, forced birth, and now, uh, you know, infanticide and, and, and Satan. So um, overall, uh, you know, um, I, I, think it, I think it highlights the great progress in the pro-life movement and, and, and the fact that the abortion industry, the Satanists included, they didn't really have a plan for post-Roe America. So they're getting louder and they're getting more bizarre. And I think this just highlights it because there are, 
very naive or misguided abortion supporters in our country. That's the majority of them. The ones you hear in the news, they, they don't represent most people who passively support abortion rights. And this is weird to them, you know, to put it plainly. Uh, it's odd. They don't want to be associated with the devil. They want to be associated with women's rights. And, and now the, you know, the, the direction of the talking points have taken a, an evil turn, pun intended. Sean, uh, it is is so bizarre, but isn't the Satanic Temple in rebellion to life itself just by the very fact that they promote the destruction of the unborn? Absolutely. And let's think about this. Women don't run in and have an abortion because they're a Democrat or Republican or because they love Bill Clinton or because they love Obama. Uh, They're not going in because they love the devil. Um, who wants to go have an abortion at this place? Who wants to use their services? That's why I think there's a certain degree of just a lack of seriousness with this, uh, including, you know, naming it after Alito's mom. But also, are, are you trying to convince us you're a real medical center because you, you named yourself after, the, you know, the prince of darkness? It, it's just it's an odd thing, but also it's insensitive to women in general, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be very successful. I think a lot of people are overestimating what's going to happen in New Mexico. And it doesn't have the population to support these like 10 abortion facilities that are all moving out there. Um, and I just think the Satanists throwing in their hat, uh, you know, shows that it, it seems like a PR stunt rather than an actual business model. Do you think they're serious? Uh, These people, the Satanic Temple, uh, say that they hope to uh, expand their abortion operations into other states as part of their campaign, claiming that abortion is a religious sacrament protected under the First Amendment and federal law. Uh, This really seems wild, uh, their point of view. I, I do think they're serious about that. I do think they're serious about that. I think the way that they're doing it is not very serious and a little goofy, but I do think that they're serious about that and that it is religious. And the most religious people in this debate are those who support abortion. I mean, you have to deny science. You have to deny reason. You certainly have to deny God. And this is their sacrament. Abortion is the solution to every problem in the world, and it's literally sacrificing a child. So when the Satanists say that, um, I, I for sure believe that they believe that it's a religious right. Sean, before we go to break, uh, just a, a thought on, on this reality. We, we see uh, Satan, the devil himself, clearly behind uh, this whole movement by a, a satanic uh, temple. Can you talk uh, about spiritual warfare, this battle between the culture of life and the culture of death? Yeah, it's, it's, it's real, and, and all you have to do is, is observe just a few things going on in our culture. It's a beautiful time as we prepare for Lent to take it seriously, to make sacrifices, to do penance uh, for our own sins and the sins of the world, and to call upon our Lord's mercy, and to know that He defeats the devil, that He conquers death, and we have to have uh, faith in that as we journey through Lent and as we as we end abortion, certainly, because abortion is from the devil. It's horrific. And, uh, you know, that's the promise of, of our Lord, that some demons can only be, be driven out by prayer and fasting. And it's important that we follow his example in those things. 
Absolutely. I want to bring in our listeners. If you're passionate about defending life, if you have any thoughts on spiritual warfare and abortion, we're taking your calls for 40 Days for Life President and CEO Sean Carney, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short time out as we continue our conversation with Sean. Stay with us. There's more to come on the other side. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 888-914-9149 is our number. 888-914-9149. I'm John Morales. Welcome back to Morning Air as uh, we continue our conversation with Morning Air contributor Sean Carney, the president and co-founder of 40 Days for Life. Before the break, we've been talking about this alarming story happening in New Mexico where the Satanic Temple has opened up an abortion facility. And uh, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the upcoming campaign of 40 Days for Life uh, here. But I wanted to get your your, your final thoughts on this uh, reality of this spiritual warfare uh, as as you mentioned, our blessed Lord himself said that there's certain demons that can only be dealt with with prayer and fasting, which is such a key uh, for the work of 40 Days for Life. It is. And, and that's why we take this stuff seriously. Abortion is evil. The devil is real. And we, we need to act accordingly. I mean, so often, even within certain Christian denominations, uh, they deny the existence of the devil. There's just really bad things that happen in the world and and there's no there's no real evil by name and and we know that's not true uh we know that from from our lord and from the richness of the church's teaching from the the way the saints discussed evil and the devil and this is a a a a good reminder i think of that going into lent uh that we can use in our spiritual lives and and so um you know this is why we have to pray this is why we have to trust it's why we need to make sacrifices, uh, and it's definitely why we need to fast uh, during Lent and, and throughout uh, the year. Well, uh, just last week, uh, Sean, uh, a, a number of Catholic bishops uh, uh, blasted the Satanic Temple's uh, abortion clinic, saying that Christians need to pray now more than ever as a, a response uh, to what these guys are doing. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who would disagree with that, other than maybe the the, the Satanists themselves. Um, it is. It's 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 a good wake up call. I think it's a great opportunity too. You know, I have eight children, and and it's a great point of discussion with with children um, because you can't be the guy that's always running around talking about the devil all the time. Uh, but you have a lot of opportunities um, to, to show your children the reality of evil in the world, how it's not always hidden. It often is. The devil likes to conceal himself. He's not doing that in this case. Um, and it's a great, you know, point of, of catechesis uh, of showing that it's not just some, you know, bad spirit out there, that the devil is real. Uh, our Lord tells us that. And he is showing himself in the culture of death. Uh, He created the culture of death, and that's why we're called to fight it. 
Well, you know, it's been described uh, the, the way that uh, many people promote abortion uh, as uh, as literally uh, being a, a religious sacrament. But to hear uh, the Satanic Temple folks themselves admit that uh, they consider it a religious sacrament uh, protected under the First Amendment. Yeah, I mean that, that they want to make it sound sophisticated and in, in all of this, and and in the end. Uh, they want to kill a baby. That, that's what all of this boils down to. They want to sacrifice uh, a, an unborn child and celebrate that. And that's what we're seeing in a post-Roe America. And it's not only from the Satanists. We are not seeing the mere tolerance of abortion or even the promotion of abortion. We're seeing the celebration of abortion and infanticide. Uh, that's what we're seeing. And I, I want the listeners to be, you know, in, in, in one sense, encouraged by that. I mean, we we never had this. You mentioned safe, legal and rare earlier in our interview. Um, You know, Bill Clinton came up with that when he ran for president because he was a pro-life governor of Arkansas. And so he came up with, I don't like abortion. I want it to be safe, legal and rare. That's just gone. And Satanists doing abortions, doing an abortion on the day of birth, denying health care to a baby girl who survives an abortion, all unheard of five years ago. You would never hear that from the left or from anywhere else. It would be uh, completely unspeakable. And now it's just a it, it's just common. And that's because we're winning. And that's the disposition that we should have in a post row America, particularly entering the holy season of Lent, uh, that we are winning. It, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, but it's it's a sign of the times. We're no longer just reacting as a movement, which we've had to do in Washington, D.C. for years and decades, uh, they are reacting, and those reactions are very disturbing and bizarre and evil, uh, but they're very reactionary because they don't know what to do in a post-Roe America. No question that life is winning in America, and one of the reasons that it's winning is because of the great work of 40 Days for Life. Sean, tell us about your upcoming campaign, which starts uh, right in time for Lent uh, on Ash Wednesday next week. Yes, well, we, we really hit the ground running uh, post-Roe. We had a great plan as we thought the Supreme Court would overturn it. So we had the largest 40 Days for Life campaign ever uh, was, was the first post-Roe campaign last fall. And then this spring, we will have the largest Lent campaign we've ever had in 604 cities. And so uh, go to 40daysforlife.com. You can find your location. <clears throat> The overturning of Roe got a lot of pro-lifers off the fence of just, you know, doing the activism part and and going out to their local abortion facilities and abortion providers and referral centers. And so we've had a wave of new cities, uh, of new locations, and it's it's very, very encouraging. I just got back from uh, Krakow, uh, Poland, where we trained our African leaders and our European leaders. They're all looking to the United States. Um, and in many cases, we gave them abortion in Africa. And so it, it, it's just very, very encouraging. Uh, take part in the campaign. It kicks off on Ash Wednesday, February the 22nd. We'll have 604 locations, and it's just a beautiful time. Uh, you know, we know from the former abortion workers that the no-show rate goes as high as 75 percent when people are out there praying. Well, Sean, our phone lines have lit up, uh, like I like to say it, like a Christmas tree. we got a lot of callers. We're not going to be able to get through all of them, but we really appreciate it. Uh, Rebecca is joining us uh, from your state, from Texas. Good morning, Rebecca. You're on with Sean Carney. Hi, thank you for having me on the show. I'm 
been a long time listener on my first time calling in. Sorry, I'm out of breath. I'm at the gym. But um, my comment was this, was in a way I'm kind of glad that the satanists, the I'm sorry, have come out and put on an abortion. I was, as I was telling the young woman I was speaking with, um, as only myself, 30 years old, if I were to find myself in a situation, I was thinking about having an abortion, and I see that this clinic was a satanic clinic, that'd be a very clear message to me to not end my life, the life of my child, whether I was wanting to keep it or not, because, you know, you know, devil saying equals to evil, equals to bad, equals to wrong. So in a way, I'm very happy that we're living in an age where it's exposed and it's in our face, so we know what to stay away from. And so the message is very, very clear that killing a child is equal to Satan, is equal to bad. Thanks so much, uh, Rebecca. Um, your thoughts, Sean? It's a great point. And they do this, they look down on women, certainly women who are looking for abortions. They're very judgmental of them. They think that they're stupid. And and she's just using common sense, which is if I, if I was considering abortion, you know, I, I'm not going into a place that has Satan on the door. Um, and so, I, you know, it doesn't always help to show your true colors. Uh, we go to Barbara joining us from Arizona. Good morning, Barbara. You're on uh, with Sean Carney. Good morning. Hi, Sean. Thank you. I wanted to have a response. What you think about people who tell me are Catholics and strong Catholics that, uh, yeah, uh, not abortion, not for me, but I believe in it for others, you know, whoever women who want it. Yeah. And, and this is sort of the, the elementary approach to it, because we don't do that for other things. <laughs> you know, we don't say, look, I think everybody should stop at a red light. But that's just, you know, my personal belief. You, you shouldn't stop at a red light or, hey, you know, I, I don't have to I don't have to support my family through farming. I mean, if they need slaves in the South, then they should have slaves. Who am I to dictate what goes on in Alabama? I live in Massachusetts. You know, we use this to justify all sins or all injustices. And, and that's why you're seeing it, it's kind of a comfortable cop-out, you know, response, one that our president uses. And it's, it's it, number one, it, it, it's wrong. Number two, we don't do it with other issues. And number three, this is how you end up on the wrong side of history, is by uh, permitting uh, the dehumanization of a group of people and telling yourself that you're tolerant. Thanks uh, so much, Barbara. Really appreciate it, Sean. We're just about out of time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, a final uh, word on how our listeners can be part of the upcoming 40 Days for Life campaign. Well, uh, definitely go to 40daysforlife.com. There's, there's 604 locations. Um, this is a beautiful thing. Yes, you can, you can help save the life of a baby, and yes, you can, you can help a mom uh, choose life or, or see an abortion facility worker have a change of heart. But everybody who's participated, we'd ha we've had a million volunteers. They've all said that they themselves have grown spiritually, and, and we need to grow spiritually, especially uh, in these troubling times. And so uh, be part of it. Go to 40daysforlife.com. And I would like to say, John, God bless Samuel Alito's mom. I am glad that she had Samuel Alito. I'm grateful for his life. I'm grateful for her life. I don't care what the Satanists say. And what he did in that opinion overturning Roe was beautiful and brilliant. Amen to that. Uh, Sean, as always, so much appreciated. Thanks again. Thank you.
Sean Carney, the president and CEO and co-founder of 40 Days for Life. And now it's time for another edition of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called The Last Time. From the moment you held your baby in your arms, you'll never be the same. You might long for the person you were before when you had freedom and time and nothing in particular to worry about. You'll know tiredness like you never knew it before, and days will run into days that are exactly the same, full of feedings and burping, diaper changes and crying, whining and fighting, naps or lack of naps. Might seem like a never-ending cycle, but don't forget, there's a last time for everything. There'll come a time when you'll feed your baby for the very last time. They'll fall asleep on you after a long day, and it will be the last time you ever hold your sleeping child. One day you'll carry them on your hip and set them down and Never pick them up that way again. You'll scrub their hair in the bath one night, and from that day on, they'll want to bathe alone. They'll hold your hand across the road, and then never reach for it again. They'll creep into your room at midnight for cuddles, and it'll be the last time you ever wake to this. One afternoon, you'll sing the wheels on the bus, do all the actions, then never sing them that song again. They'll kiss you goodbye at the school gates. The next day, they'll ask to walk to the gate alone. You'll read a final bedtime story. Wipe your last dirty face. They'll run to you with arms raised for the very last time. Thing is, you won't even know it's the last time until there are no more times. And even then, it will take you a while to realize. So while you're living in these times, remember there are only so many of them. And when they're gone, you'll yearn for just one more day of them for one last time. From Psalm 127.3 Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Thanks, Glenn. That'll do it for this edition of the show. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.